Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Canada mit Seem, or in English, Canada with a Seem. My name is Annika Vakinis. I'm the project manager of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada. Today's topic is about public opinion research. Accumulated data is a powerful tool in understanding the trends and forces that are shaping our world. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Nick Nanos. He is the founder and chief data scientist at Nanos Research, one of North America's leading research and strategy organizations, as well as the official poster for CTV News, The Globe and Mail, and Bloomberg News. Nanos Research is also conducting public opinion research for various levels of government, including the federal, provincial, and municipal level. Mr. Nanos has his fingers on the pulse of Canadians, and he will share his insights with us in this episode. Today's interview will be conducted by Dr. Norbert Eschborn, director of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada. Norbert, over to you now. Welcome, Nick Nanos. Thank you It's for, great to join you. Thank you for being our guest today. You are one of Canada's most famous pollsters, very well known nationally. Can you uh, tell our viewers what brought you into opinion research or how we call it in Europe, demoscopy? What fascinates you with the discipline? Well, Norbert, uh, ironically, I was supposed to be a lawyer. I was I was practicing. Uh, I was going through university. I'd written my, my bar exams. I was going to be a lawyer. And then uh, I was asked, I was studying statistics and politics in school. And I was asked Uh, by someone to do a survey. And after I did the survey, they thought that I might be uh, good at that. And uh, and the first big break for the firm was uh, when, a, at that point, a very small company asked me to do a survey of office supply customers. And that small company, maybe you've heard of them, is called Staples. <laughs> it was when they had 18 stores. Mm. And we did one survey, and then they had us do 18 surveys, because at that time, they had 18 stores in Canada. And then we grew uh, from along with uh, Staples in doing that survey. So like a lot of things, luck counts in life. And uh, I wasn't planning on being a pollster, but uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. That's an interesting and fascinating story. Can you please briefly introduce us to the landscape of Canadian polling institutions? Uh, how many are there and do they have any specializations? Well, overall, there are about 30, uh, 30 polling organizations that I would say they're part of the industry association. But the reality is, is the main ones are we would be one of the top five, along with companies like uh, Ipsos, which is French based, Leger, which is based in the province of Quebec and Veronique. So there are probably five. Um, they all specialize in different things, ranging from corporate to public affairs. For our firm specifically, Uh, we have a specialty in uh, in policy issues uh, and uh, advocacy and regulatory issues, and we also do some corporate. So we tilt a little more towards, for example, working for companies that might have a regulatory issue. Maybe there's a merger and acquisition that they need government approval, or uh, or they're advocating for a particular uh, public policy initiative. Okay, opinion research is not without controversy. There are those oh, yeah. critics in society who claim that, especially when uh, somebody's coming up with a so-called representative poll, that when a thousand people are questioned uh, and uh, pollsters say this reflects 
the opinion of the society, people say maybe not. Um, how do you uh, argue with those critics? Well, uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, which I considered a pretty uh, reliable source, accepts survey data. And here's here's another little tidbit for you, Norbert. The Supreme Court of Canada has accepted as evidence surveys of 30 randomly selected individuals in order to deliberate on a case, as long as it's a scientific survey. So the reality is, is that, yes, uh, are surveys imperfect? For sure. Uh, there's there are, all surveys have limitations, uh, but it's all about controlling for error. It's kind of like quality, right? If you have good ingredients, if you follow good processes, am I sounding like a German? If you if you have good good processes, if you have quality ingredients and quality workers doing the job, you will have a superior outcome. So, uh, but is it getting more difficult to uh, measure public opinion absolutely it's also more importantly becoming much more expensive because there are fewer people participating in surveys in the past so it takes us more effort to get that representative sample compared to 10 and 20 years ago i see you have been in your profession for many decades can you tell us what was your biggest success and when you were totally off the mark if that ever happened right Well, I'll tell you what people think my largest success was and then what I believe my largest success was. So in the 2006 federal election, we did a prediction that was within one-tenth of one percentage point for all of the major parties. That basically broke the record. Actually, I think that's a, a, a record for any pollster in any major democracy. So one-tenth of one percentage point variance with all the federal parties, all the top parties. That's usually what people uh, talk to because that is almost surreal. But we've been, we've had either the best or the second best call in every election since the early 2000s, since we've started doing federal election polling. So that's what people point to. But the one that I'm actually most proud of is the work that we do with Bloomberg News. We do a weekly consumer confidence index with Bloomberg News. We started it in 2008. And our tracking with Bloomberg News predicts what the Canadian GDP will be six months ahead of time. And for those of you that are math nuts, the correlation is like 0.85, which is a very strong correlation. For me, and most people don't know this, is that the Bank of Canada uses our public opinion data to do their forecasting in the economy. And actually, we're usually in the fiscal report. So what I'm most proud of in terms of accuracy is our weekly tracking for Bloomberg News. Now, have I ever been wrong? Good news? No. Uh, never been wrong in an election. Am I worried about being wrong in the future? Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, we've been fortunate that we've never been uh, embarrassed in any uh, major, and not in any, in, in all of the federal elections that we've done polling in. We've never been off the mark. Congratulations on your success story then. Um, as I said, you have been in your profession for many, many decades. I'm wondering Are the respondents always honest? Because from Germany, we have met this phenomenon as early as in the 1990s when uh, people were asked in polls regarding state elections uh, about their political preferences. And that was a time when uh, first right-wing parties uh, came up and, uh, and were uh, competing for the votes. And many people had sympathies for them, but of course didn't want to say this publicly 
And uh, so practically they lied when the pollsters asked them and told them another preference only to vote for that party on election day, resulting in major surprises um, when it came to the election results. Does that happen in Canada too? Well, the, the one thing that we need to add, Norbert, because mm -hmm. I do have a I do have a business partner, Reinhard Schlinkert, who heads up DEMA uh, in Germany, and we would talk about polling a lot in Canada and Germany, and he would talk about uh, polling respondents in East Germany, right, the former Soviet Republic, and how they have a different culture when someone calls up and asks them for their opinion, uh, and you know that particular that particular culture in East Germany usually explains part of what I'll say the phenomenon that you're talking about in Germany. We do know that uh, people who tend to, uh, who intend to vote for extreme parties will, are underrepresented many times in polls uh, because they don't want to report or they don't want to share publicly, especially if it's a telephone survey where they're talking with someone. The good news is, at least in Canada, is that For anyone that might be lying in a survey, it has not been material because even the polling industry writ large in Canada has not had a major problem um, over the last number of years when it comes to uh, estimating elections. We've spent more time trying to figure out who's going to vote because sometimes people tell you that they're going to vote and that they don't vote. That can influence um, that that influences the reliability of the polls as predictors of elections, voter turnout. Okay, there's another challenge for pollsters, I can imagine. Isn't it a natural need or a natural wish for people uh, being asked in a poll that intuitively they want to be with the winners, uh, thereby hiding their honest political preference? Uh, because there are so many polls ahead of elections and there might be an indication who's going to win and then you will be asked... Uh, who I'm going to vote for, and isn't there that secret wish, I want to be on the winner's side, and therefore I'm hiding my poll, although I'll be voting for my real preference in the booth. Yeah, Actually, uh, yeah, to your point, people don't want to sound stupid like they're voting for a loser, I think is a less eloquent way of uh, asking that question. You know, it's interesting, I remember we did a survey, um, and us and another one of the other major pollsters were doing polling with the exact same questions, And we yielded completely different results. The question was, who's winning the election? And then who are you going to vote for? And who would make the best uh, prime minister of Canada? And when we do the survey, we always ask, who are you going to vote for? And then who's winning the election? And then who would make uh, the best prime minister? The other polling firm, my colleague, asked the exact same questions to the same population, but in a different order. Who's winning the election? Who would make the best prime minister? And who are you voting for? They yielded two different results because at that particular point in time, the party, uh, the conservatives were running a much better campaign than the liberals. And after people were asked who's who's doing who's running the best campaign for them to say for them to, on the one hand, say that it was the conservatives and then to vote for the liberals or the new Democrats would make them look. Why don't we say not optimal? <laughs> so, you know, so one of those things where one of the issues that we have to your point is question ordering the question, whatever the most important question is actually has to be in the beginning. When it's the very first question in a survey, you can, there's a much greater likelihood of, of the survey being reliable than if there are questions in front of it that might condition people to a particular answer. 
I see. Very interesting information. Uh, from Germany, we know or we assume that some of our most well-known opinion poll institutes are associated with one or another political party. Um, is that the case also in Canada? Uh, are there some close relationships? And what should the reader of such a poll make out of the results of polls conducted by these yeah. institutes? Yeah, this is kind of a unique phenomenon because, Norbert, what you've talked about is actually also very true in the United States. Almost all of the major pollsters in the United States have a political, a declared and open political affiliation. Um, in Canada, the major pollsters actually do not. They're independent. Uh, and it's very rare when I talked about those top companies for them ever to be formally uh, aligned. In our particular case, we're not only nonpartisan, but we have to be nonpartisan because our firm is the official pollster for the major national newspaper, the Globe and Mail. We're the official pollster for the largest private broadcaster, CTV News, and we're the official pollster for Bloomberg News. So all of those relationships require us to be nonpartisan, which means that our company will never do a research project, like a polling research project for any type of federal political party uh, or candidate. So we're nonpartisan. So Canada is a little different than Germany and the United States and, and France when it comes to pollster affiliations. That said, Norbert, Every day I get texts, I shouldn't say text, on Twitter, someone says, Nick, you're a conservative after the conservatives are ahead. And then when the liberals are ahead, I'm told that I'm a liberal. So every day I am questioned by average people as to my political affiliation. But the reality is, is that we're nonpartisan. Is there any empirical value regarding the very infamous margins of error in polls, which sometimes surprise The, oh, yeah. the non-experts uh, in social <laughs> science, is there any empirical value regarding beyond which margin of error I can safely skip reading a poll, and especially the political ones? Yeah, well, here's, here's something. The margin of error is irrelevant to the reliability of research. Uh -huh. People tend to look at the margin of error and go, oh, this must be a better survey because the margin of error is plus or minus 2% compared to another one that is plus or minus 4%. Um, the margin of error is for the analysis of a particular number that if a particular party is at 35% or 30%, that if the margin of error is three, they could be at 33 or they could be at 27. But I never look at the margin of error to judge whether a poll is reliable. I look at the questions, the wording and the order of the questions. And I think, Norbert, for you and your colleagues and for anyone listening to the podcast, yes, look at the margin of error because everyone usually is within the margin of error. Look at the questions. Are the questions fair and balanced or are they leading? Look at the order of the questions. Could they bias or lead respondents to a particular uh, conclusion or a particular opinion? So throw out the margin of error as something that you just use to analyze the results and, and, and identify a bandwidth. Focus on the questions and the wording of the questions in order to see whether a survey is reliable or not. Okay. Uh, having been a political operative myself, I have my own views about <laughs> opinion polls, um, especially the closer it comes to election day. Yes. Did you make or did you come across the phenomenon that clients uh, wish to have two kinds of polls? 
the pure one, the raw one with the honest numbers and let's say a rather sugar-coated version? Well, not, not when it comes to publicly released polls, but what does happen a lot are two things. First of all, uh, polling is used for two, among a number of reasons, but usually polling has two primary objectives. One objective is to accurately measure opinion in an unbiased way so that you can understand the environment that one is operating in. The other type of research is what I'll call campaign or strategy development. So when you're doing uh when you're doing what I'll say a poll a poll to read the environment, it's completely neutral. It is written in a way so that we can understand the true landscape. When you're doing the other type of campaign development poll, you're introducing content. It'd be like, you know, if I told you that this politician or that this party was proposing to increase taxes on this or to subsidize a corporation for uh, a particular project, you know, would you support or oppose that? And then, so that's a campaign development uh, poll. And in those types of polls, you're not really looking at understanding the true environment. You're understanding, you're trying to figure out how you can create the winning conditions. So usually those types of polls are not released. The polls that are fair and, and by a fair, a fair representation of opinion that are neutral are the ones that usually go out in the uh, in the public domain. I see. Very interesting. Um, if I'm correctly informed, uh, in the province of Ontario, where we both live here in Ottawa, you are now confronted with um, a, a plan by uh, the provincial parliament to ban polls within a certain period ahead of elections. Mm -hmm. uh, that must be a real challenge for uh, all polling companies. Um, is it true that people get like distracted from uh, the core of the political campaign or does polling influence uh, voting behavior? And isn't it true that, for example, if polling comes up with a prediction that this or that party will win by a marge by by a huge margin um doesn't this distract voters from voting mm -hmm. so there are conditions where polling does have an influence and very quickly first of all polling can have either a very positive or a devastating impact on the ability of a campaign to raise funds because if the polls show that someone is losing people are not going to give money to that particular campaign Polling can have a positive or devastating impact on volunteers, because if you think that your party can win, you're going to go to the poll. You're going to go out and you're going to knock on doors and you're going to talk to your neighbors. While if you think that your party is going to lose, you're not going to volunteer as much. In terms of vote behavior, at least because of the way Canadian democracy is structured, the polls that are most likely to influence outcomes are actually local constituency or riding polls, because people vote for an individual, not necessarily a party slate at the local level. And they are given information that could allow them to strategically vote to either put one party over the top or to block another party. Um, but it's hard for people to take a national survey and to figure out how they should vote in Ottawa Center, which is in downtown Ottawa, or out in St. John's, Newfoundland, which is out on the East Coast. However, Norbert, here's what pollsters don't usually say very often. If polling was banned during the election, pollsters would make much more money. 
the co- the the value of my services to corporations i would go through the roof because they would want to know what's actually happening in the election mm-hmm. so i'd like to say that there would be a monetary benefit to the banning of polls because there won't be any publicly available polls that people use to do stuff now the downside from a democratic perspective is that if polls are banned in the last week that means that newspapers politicians pundits can claim to be winning or losing and there'd be no check on them and you know the good news is is because there are a number of pollsters that release polls at the same time people can be smart consumers and look at what the polling average might be and to see whether one pollster might be an outlier or not that should be disregarded i see Uh, don't use statistics unless you have falsified them yourself, said Winston Churchill. What do, you, <laughs> what do you tell him? Well, he's a politician. So, you know, I've I've seen politicians basically say, oh, we have a poll and our poll shows that we're winning. And their campaign knows that they're just, knows that it's not true. The pollsters know that it's not true. The media know that it's not true. And let's face it. Politicians who are losing need to deny that they're losing. And the best way to say is that I don't believe that poll. I've got my own numbers that uh, show that I'm winning. But the reality is, is uh, that's what I expect pollsters to say. And, and the same way that some, you know, some of my colleagues get upset when pollsters get criticized by politicians. And I tell them, what do you expect them to do? Like we're putting a mirror up to the population. It's hard to it's hard to get around that. I expect them to say that they don't believe the survey results when it doesn't serve their purposes. That's their job. So are you a civic educator or a kingmaker? Neither. I'm a tormentor. I torture politicians uh, as uh, as part of my job because it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I think it would be fair to say that elected officials are very sensitive to what pollsters say on how strong or weak a government might be or what the political opportunities are because basically we put a mirror up to the population and to politicians. Sometimes that mirror is ugly. Yeah, that's true. Since we have a little bit more time, uh, I'll like to ask you also uh, about your role as the chair of the Canadian branch of the Atlantic Brücke, uh, yeah. in which you have been serving for quite <laughs> some time. Uh, Atlantic Brücke is uh, based in Germany and takes care of um, improving and deepening Uh, the transatlantic relations, and you are heading the Canadian branch. Um, what brought you uh, into this position? And do you have a special relationship with Germany? Absolutely. So, yes, I'm the chair of Atlantic uh, Brooker Canada, and I have been for the last number of years. And in Canada, we have companies that are members. We have universities that are members. We also have, and this is different than Atlantic Brooker in uh, back uh, home in Germany, um, We actually have the government of Canada and like the, for example, a provincial government like the government of Alberta that are actually paid members, which is very different from the German model. Um, and we focus on advancing the, the Canada-Germany binational relationship and dialogue. And it's been very hot. We've had the chancellor here. The president has also visited uh, Canada. And there's a, a real thirst for stronger Canada-Germany cooperation across a number of fields, including energy, artificial intelligence, uh, the environment, and green hydrogen. Um, but kind of like, remember, Norbert, I told you that it was like a fluke that uh, I got into the polling business. Well, it was a fluke. My connection with Germany was also by chance. 
we were looking at uh, doing something from a research perspective. And and I knew that a colleague, a professional colleague of mine in Germany, Reinhard Schlinkert at DMAP was doing that. It had to do with exit polling. And I remember we were talking internally and I said, you know, we could build our own capacity, but why don't we talk to Reinhardt? And after talking to Reinhardt, I'd realized and meeting his team, I'd realized that his German team and my Canadian team had very similar values. We had very similar views. You know, when I talked about, I sound like a German quality, consistency, a focus on precision, very similar work qualities also between uh, between the, the Ger- Reinhardt's German research team and our research team. And, and, and at that point, I kind of went to Reinhardt. I said, you know, you're great. Your team, I feel like I'm looking at my team when I look at, at your team, because we have a, the same approach to professionalism and quality work. And then I said, why don't we be business partners? So we started a joint venture, Nanos DMAP. That does uh, that does work outside of Germany and Canada in different European and other uh, foreign countries, and uh, and then I've just become uh, you know I love Germany. I've just become an admirer of Germany, and the more I learn, the more I like and love. It's uh, and Germany's a federation, Canada's a federation. We both believe in uh, and we both have the same values, and we believe in liberal democracy. And I'd also like to say, and this might be a little awkward, we're both figuring out our relationship with the two largest economies and powers in the world, the United States and China. And I th- I believe that Canada and Germany together can figure out a path that helps both countries in partnership deal with the future and this world that's dealing with two su- superpowers that might not be cooperating all the time. That's a very nice word for concluding this interview. Thank you, Nick Nanos, for introducing us into the interesting world of opinion research, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much, Norbert. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about Canada's top opinion pollster and his experience in public opinion research. If you'd like to learn more about the work of the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung Canada and stay tuned for upcoming events, publications and more, You are welcome to check our homepage and sign up for our quarterly newsletter at www.ks.de slash Canada. Thank you and we look forward to welcome you back in our next episode of Canada mit Sehen.